So we're going to have some weird things happen today. <laughs> it's the life of David. This just, just no weird stuff is going to happen. So remember where we last left David, he was on the run. He had had that conversation with Jonathan and Jonathan tested his father, Saul, and they figured out, yep, he wants to kill you. You're dead. Your only hope is to get out of here. And so he runs. And remember earlier on, he had run to Samuel and he met with Samuel and then Saul and those guys chased him to Samuel. And then he escaped and came back to Jonathan, circled around. He's kind of making that last check. He made that last check. He realizes he has to really leave. So he is running and he goes to Nob. This is in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21. And some of you might have 1 Samuel chapter 21 say that he rose and departed and Jonathan went into the city because in the Hebrew scriptures, this breaks in a different spot. And then when the English translators broke it, they broke it in a different spot. If you have that and you're looking at your buddy's Bible and you're looking side to side and it's all confusing, don't worry. It's okay. So David's on the run. He goes to see Ahimelech, the priest. And that name might not mean anything to you, and that might be fine, but just wait. It'll mean something in a minute. Ahimelech comes out to meet David, trembling. <gasps> Do you remember when Samuel came to Bethlehem and the city officials were trembling. What are you doing here? They know this guy's powerful. He doesn't just go places. Something is going on. Himlek, what are you doing? Why are you alone? Why is nobody with you? David says, the king has charged me with the matter and said, don't let anybody know about it. I'm charging you with this. This is a secret mission. So you got to go. I have an appointment with young men. I'm going to meet some guys at a certain place. But now, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you have. So he's like, I'm on. The, I'm, he doesn't say he's on the run. He says, the king has sent me on a secret mission. I'm going to meet some people. But what have you got? Give me some bread. He says, I have. Give me five loaves. Now, a loaf wasn't like bunny bread loaf. Um, loaf was probably, it's, it's not like a pita. It's a little bit bigger than a pita. It's smaller than a focaccia. It's much bigger than a tortilla. It's in this, this range, right? It's like a, it's like the little Caesars pizza making kit, but it's just the dough, none of the toppings. So it's like a, it's like a pizza dough. That's the flatbread flatbreads that they would have. Give me five loaves of bread or whatever's here. The priest answers David, I have no common bread on hand, but there's holy bread. Okay, so this is where we're not going to go to Leviticus, but in Leviticus it explains that they would have 12 loaves of bread. This is the show bread. And they would make this every week and it would show there by the Ark of the Covenant, in the temple, in the, in the tabernacle, 
to show how God is always providing, that we would always remember that God is providing bread for us. And after it was there, when it got replaced, it wasn't just normal bread because it was the show bread. And so the only people that could eat it were Levite priests and they had to eat it right there in, in, the, in the tabernacle. So it wasn't just like, all right, now we're going to go use it for fish bait or something. It was valuable. And so Ahimelech says, okay, I will let you have this, but your men have to be ceremonially pure. Like you, you have to be away from women. You can't be unclean. You have to be pure. David answers the priest. Women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. This doesn't seem like a big deal. This is why Uriah the Hittite would get killed later on. Whenever David's men were out on a fight, they would separate themselves from their wives just to really focus on what they were doing and keep themselves. Not, they would not break any cleanliness laws. And he's like, this is how we do it. We do it like this. David's men, this was abnormal, okay? This was not a normal thing. This is like, wow, David is like extra holy. He's extra devoted. Even if this was an ordinary journey, they'd all be clean. How much more so today? Because this is an important thing. So the priest gave him the holy bread and they took it. Jesus would later on refer back to this moment when the disciples are eating and it's the Sabbath and the Pharisees would get all upset and they'd be like, you're doing what's unlawful. And he's like, look, don't you guys remember King David and Ahimelech and how he got the bread and it's only for Levite priests, but Ahimelech let him eat it because people are more important than the law. Wow. So that started right here. That this little thing happens has gospel implications later. That God cares more about our livelihood and our survival than he would care about them obeying the Torah, obeying the law. Isn't that kind of troublesome and kind of, wow, I thought the whole point of obeying the law was that you would live. Well, there it is. So then we have, if, if this was a movie, you would see this interchange between David and Ahimelech. And then all of a sudden it would cut and you would see this guy over in the corner looking and then he would disappear. And that's all you would see. That's what this verse is. A certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. You only get one sentence, but you know it's bad news, Right. It's the dude looking around the corner. Doesn't like it. Well, he's an Edomite. He's not an Israelite. So he is not part of God's chosen people. He is a foreigner. He's a Gentile. But he is here before the Lord. So maybe he has become a convert. Maybe he has become Jewish. Maybe he's what they call a Gentile believer. And so he's doing the ritual practices that he needs to do so that he could be Jewish, so that he'd be permitted to do Jewish things. Detained before the Lord might mean that he's waiting until sunset because then he'll be clean. You know, if there's 
there's various things that you have to do to become clean. And you have to wait until sundown, which is the next day for it to happen. Or you have to wait until the right time to do the sacrifice for that to happen. So he's waiting there. So you have this little business of he's obeying the law. And that's putting him in a stance to do something bad, which is what he's going to do. You have a Himalek who's sort of breaking the law. And that's allowing something very good to happen. Isn't that wild? So this is so if you think the Bible is just this very black and white, it shows you what God's laws are. and We got to follow them. It tells us what to do. Uh, don't read First Samuel 22 because <laughs> it's not that clear. It just points that God is more more about a relationship, right? More about a, a growing, thriving relationship with you than just giving you a list of black and white laws. My wife and I, we don't have a code. Sometimes I wish we did of if I do this and I do this, then this happens. But that just wouldn't be live. That wouldn't be lively, right? Instead, we have this relationship, this interaction. And if ours, as, as human as we are, is like that, how much more so is God's desire for us to have a relationship just deep and complex? So then David says to him, like, so here's David's pattern. David says, hey, what have you got? Have you got this? Can I have it? Abimelech says, Oh, I've only got this and it's pretty, okay, you can have it. So here's the next round of that. David said to Ahimelech, do you have a spear or a sword or something? I don't have anything. I was just in such a big hurry and I rushed out. I, I, I got nothing. Ahimelech, well, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down is here wrapped up in a cloth behind the ephod. I guess you could have that. <laughs> so I love this whole scene. Uh, David knows where the sword of Goliath is. He knows it's sitting there. He knows that Ahimelech has the showbread that he can serve. What's wild is where this sword is and why it's there. Because the Ark of the Covenant isn't here. Remember when Eli, the corrupt, oh, you got to hold all this stuff in your head, right? Eli, the corrupt priest and his corrupt sons, they took the ark into battle. It got stolen by the Philistines. The Philistines brought it back. They, but there was a curse on Eli. And he said, uh, Samuel said, your whole family's going to die out. Nobody's going to serve before. Nobody's going to be a priest before God because you're all wicked. And there's going to be a whole new a whole new line of priests. Um, so the Ark of the Covenant came back, but it didn't come back to Eli because Eli was corrupt and it went to this other spot. But where Eli is, was at Nob, where the tabernacle was, and his son, uh, his son was killed. His daughter-in-law gave birth to a boy named Ichabod, which means the glory is passed from Israel. Ichabod had a brother named Ahimelech. This is Ahimelech. So Ahimelech is there and he is like, yes, we have the ephod and we have the sword of Goliath from Gath. And it's behind it. 
Do you see what's starting to happen? Do you remember in Numbers when um, Moses lifted up that bronze serpent and whoever looked at it would be saved? But then later on, everybody worshipped it and they made it an idol. I think Israel has taken this sword of Goliath. You know, if I let's say I just beat the whole crossroads volleyball team of volleyball. And I came in and I took that volleyball and I set it right here. Oh yeah. I beat all the crossroads people at volleyball. <laughs> so every time you guys come in and you look up at the candle that's burning, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. You look up at this open Bible, which is a symbol of our value for God's word. You also see that Dan Sullivan blew out the Crossroads volleyball team, just nestled right there. It's going to be kind of hard to get rid of that, isn't it? Right? When it's time to paint the floors and renovate everything and they clear everything out and they bring it all back, they're going to be like, okay, we need to set the candle here and we need to set the Bible here and oh, we can't forget this volleyball that Dan set there. I think the sword of Goliath the Gath is slowly turning itself into an idol. A, a thing to show off that we beat the Philistines. We're going to set this thing up there. It's right behind the ephod. The ephod was the thing that the high priest would wear and it would have jewels on it. And they would use that to make decisions. Kind of like a dice or a casting lot. I mean, they would cast lots with it kind of thing. So it's right there. So David says, can I have it? And he says, yes. He takes it. David looks at it. He says, there is none like it. There is no other sword like this. Give it to me. So then David leaves. And he goes to where it would be a great place to go. Like really far away. Like nowhere that Saul could find him. Nowhere. No, he goes to Gath. With Goliath's sword, you guys. David rose, fled that day from Saul, went to Achish, the king of Gath. So David, carrying this sword, marches into Gath. The people freak out and they say, basically they arrest him. And they say, uh, the servants of Achish come and they go, this is the guy. This is the guy they sang that song about. Saul struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. King, you know the ten thousands of men that have been knocked down by this guy. And he's holding, we got this sword from him to show, he did it. David took these words to heart and was afraid. So he hears this. Oh. Now I can't, I cannot find any good explanation of why David did this. Why David went to this spot. Um, it could be that he's just, he's like, Saul's going to kill me. I might as well just go see if anybody, if I could live out my days anywhere. Could be that he's going to go fight them all. I'm just going to go march right in there and just kill all the Philistines I can and go out fighting because I know God hates the Philistines. I'm just going to die. Listen to what happens. David was afraid. He changed his behavior before them and he pretended to be insane in their hands. He made marks on the doors of their city gate 
He let his spit run down his beard. And what it doesn't say here is that he recited Psalm 34. What? All right. So let's say you're having your uh, daily devotion and you're reading through the Psalms and you get to Psalm 34 and the little heading at the top says, this is of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. So David shows up to Goliath, the, the hometown of Goliath of Gath. This is probably maybe 10 years after Goliath got killed. Maybe a little bit more, but not many. Shows up, has Goliath's sword. They, he acts like a madman and he marks up the city gate like he's attacking the city. They bring him before King Abimelech like he's arrested. And he starts acting crazy, slobbering from his mouth. But he says Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Now this is the other thing. Here's how my audio Bible reads it. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let my humble, let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's fine. That's not how it was originally said, right? I will bless the Lord all my time. I mean, he was crazy. He was crazy enough that he's drooling from his mouth. He's I mean, we don't know how he moved around and acted. We don't know how he shouted and did it. But he's just, he's crazy enough that the king says, what in the world, you guys? Do I not have enough madmen in my kingdom? Why would you bring David in here? Get him out of here. Send him away. And so they take David and they throw him out of the city. I will bless the Lord at all times. Will you bless the Lord when everybody wants to kill you and you have no hope, you have no place to run? His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Remember, he's doing this among the the Philistines who do not worship Yahweh. They, They worship Dagon. So he is like, worship Yahweh with me to a whole, right? I mean, that's, this is like going to Turkey and being like, Jesus saves. And all the Muslims would attack you, right? I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord, who these Philistines have experienced with their tumors and their hemorrhoids and their rats and their death. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. I think this is all David's prayer. I think this is all a genuine prayer. And he is like, Lord, this is all messed up. I'm supposed to become king. I can't even live in my country. 
do a miracle. Like wipe out the Philistines before me. Do you remember how Jonathan, when Jonathan said, the Lord gives us the victory, let's see if the Lord will give them into our hands. And he went and he killed like hundreds of Philistines on a hill. I think David is playing that same card where he is like, none of this makes sense. I'm supposed to be king. I can't even be in my kingdom. I'm on the run. I don't even have a sword. The Lord has to do something and I'm, I'm going to go for it. It's awesome to read. It's a great psalm to memorize. I encourage you to say it like a crazy person with drool falling out of your mouth. Get the full experience. Especially if it'll get you thrown out of town. Then you could really live it. Other cool thing. After this, the sword of Goliath is no longer mentioned. And I just wonder if it got apprehended when he got arrested. And they're not going to give it back to him. And so now a potential idol, a potential idol that would be there for Israel has been taken out of circulation. It's not, they're not going to be able to worship that anymore. Isn't that kind of cool? So now he's on the run. Is he still on the run? Well, let's talk about the brilliance of this. Who all wants to kill David? Saul and all of his kingdom pretty much would want to kill David. Saul's enemies that David fought for all want to have revenge on David. But gosh, if that poor dude is just loony bins, like drooling and spouting stuff off about his God, just let him go. So now David doesn't have to fear Gath and the the wrath of um, Goliath's descendants. He just has to fear Saul. And he can now stay in that land And whenever people hear, oh, David's coming, they're not going to get their army together and be like, oh, David's invading. They're going to be like, that crazy kook, he's just out in the wilderness. Just let him be. And so now David has his free ticket to travel all over the place. And everybody just thinks he's crazy and nobody's going to bother him. So I don't think that was his original plan. But the way the Lord is working in that, it's just total genius. So David escapes to this cave. This is chapter 22. He goes to this cave and he hides out. And somehow he gets word out that he's at this cave. And all of his brothers and all of his friends and everybody that's on his side leaves Bethlehem and comes to him to hide in these caves. Because Saul knows about the family of Jesse He knows about David's family. And if David is supposed to be king, Saul probably will kill them all, right? Saul doesn't want anybody interfering with him being king. Then also is every, all these guys that are in distress, that are in debt, everybody's that's bitter in soul, it says. All of these downcasts and troubled and felons and criminals and crooks, they're all like, we got no hope. In Israel, let's all go side with David and help David out. And they all come, and he became commander of them, and there were 400 men. So remember how David just said, I'm not invading you, Philistines. I'm just a madman. Don't bother me. Okay, we won't form an army against you. Meet my army of 400 men. Pretty sly. 
Then he goes to Mizpah of Moab and he says to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him all the time that he was in the stronghold. So what's up with the king of Moab? We're not going to go there. But the last verse of the book of Ruth reveals, says that King David's grandpa's grandpa, right? Grandma's grandma was Ruth. Ruth was from Moab. So David has this, his mom and dad, and he's like, look, these guys, there's Moab blood in my family. Will you shelter them and take care of them? Will you honor my great grandfather, Boaz, who took in Ruth and rescued Ruth? Will you take in their granddaughter and her husband, who are my parents? Isn't that awesome? So a hundred years before this, God was preparing the land of Moab to be a shelter for King David while he was on the run. God, God is working in that to provide, to help out. And they say, sure. Now, remember that guy that was peeking around the corner that had the beady little eyes and they played the scary music and then he disappeared. Now back to him. Saul heard that David was discovered. The men that were with him. So now Saul knows about the 400 men and he knows he's in the, these caves in this region. And he says, is everybody on David's side? Wait, I said it wrong. Is everybody on the son of Jesse's side? In this whole section, whenever Saul talks, he is so mad at David that he will not say the word David. He refers to him as the son of Jesse. He refers to him as the, the oath friend of my son. But he will not say, it's like, do not say that name in my presence. I am so mad. Incidentally, he's also sitting under a big shade tree with his spear in his hand. Whenever you see Saul and he's got his spear in his hand, know that nobody is safe. He could throw it at anybody. He threw it at his heart player. That was the only relief he got from an evil spirit. He threw it at his own son and tried to kill his own son. And here is Saul sitting under the tree with the spear in his hand, it says. Is anybody going to help me? Is anybody going to side with me? And Doeg the Edomite comes forward and he says, I saw the son of Jesse. Oh, he knows. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, the brother of Ichabod. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. He gave away your trophy. Even more angry, right? Just shows how much they were valuing that, that thing. Oh, one of... Okay, this is a little narration, Mark. One of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and went after David. And Abiathar told David everything that happened. So there was one guy that escaped. Basically, make a long story short, which is impossible at this point. Saul is furious that the priests are on the side of David. The priests are on the side of the son of Jesse. 
So he says, call them to me, all of them, every last one. That's bad. When he wants every single one of them, bad things happen. He comes, he says, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, that you've given him bread and a sword and you inquired of God for him so that he has risen against me to lie in wait for me. So Saul, did you see the things that he added to the story? You inquired of God for him. What is one of the things that Saul can no longer do? He can't inquire of God. Remember how Samuel said, God is not speaking to you anymore. God's telling you nothing. Saul is jealous of David that God would speak to David. He's also putting his own motives on him because he wants to lie in wait for David. He thinks that David is lying in wait for him. Ahimelech answers the king. Who is so faithful as David? Now, right at this moment, all of the servants of Saul are all like, oh, he said that thing. <laughs> Who is so faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law? Who is your son-in-law? Who is captain over all of your bodyguard? Who is the most honored in your house? Because <laughs> Ahimelech doesn't know that Saul hates David. This is what he understands. Is today the first time I've inquired of God for him? No, I do it all the time. I take care of him all the time. I'll do whatever he needs, basically, is what Ahimelech says. This enrages Saul. Saul says, kill them all. And his guards and his men refuse. Who's the king now? All the men in Saul's court, they say, we will not strike down the priests. We will go fight Philistines. We'll go fight Edomites, except for this one that you captured and put in your service. We're not striking down the priests of God. Doeg the Edomite, who does not have loyalty to Yahweh, who, right? He says, I'll do it. I'll kill them all. And Saul says, do it. Do you remember what Saul didn't do and made him lose his, pre his kingdom? Wipe out all the Amalekites, kill every single one of them. Instead, Saul orders the killing of all of the priests, all their wives, all their cattle, all their kittens, all their puppies. Doeg the Edomite does it. He goes, he wipes out the whole city. Wow. So this is how far away Saul has gotten. By seeking his own, his own desires, his own kingdom, by not submitting to the real king who has the real kingdom, but by seeking his own, he's gone so far as to do what God commanded him to do against God's people. And so he wipes out the entire priesthood is wiped out, except for one guy that escapes. The wild thing is, this is the fulfillment of Samuel's prophecy against Eli. So Eli did bad. Samuel said, your entire family is going to get wiped out to the very last one. And it didn't happen in that generation, but it happened here. And they were all wiped out 
except for Abiathar. And Abiathar was the one that escaped. And it just shows you in all these things, you see this over and over again in the scriptures. There will be this horrible thing and there will be all kinds of judgment poured out and God saves just a little tiny remnant, somebody, Noah and his wife and their kids, Lot and his daughters, just one little bit gets saved out of it from absolute destruction. And David, who was shown mercy, was shown hesed by Jonathan, I will take care of you no matter what. He was shown hospitality by the priest. Here's a sword. Here's some bread. Says to Abiathar, the last priest. I knew this would happen when I saw Doeg. I knew he would betray me. This is all my fault. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. He who seeks my life seeks your life. And with me, you will be safe. So now David puts himself responsible for Abiathar's life. Do you know, I'll just spoil it. In the end, when David becomes king, he has one high priest and it's Abiathar. Descendant of Eli, who was cursed. He will serve as David's high priest, all of David's kingdom. And then when he dies, Solomon will finish the job that Samuel said would happen and he'll die in old age after serving David. So this whole thing is all happening. It shows us God is always providing. God's will will always happen. Even when the bad guys try to do, oh, you know, Saul, he's like, and Doeg, they're like, oh, now we'll get them. We're going to show them. They just fulfilled what God wanted to do. Oh, we're going to kill that Nazarite. We're going to show him. And Peter stands up and he says, the one that you crucified was the son of God, just as it was foretold. You did it. Even when the bad guys win, even when the bad guys do their best, God's kingdom still advances, even today. All right, let's pray. Lord, you are holy and awesome. We praise you, Lord. We praise you that you are in control. Even when the most horrible things happen, I know that I know that you don't desire anybody to be lost. We don't desire we we know that you don't desire destruction on anybody. But we know that whatever the devil intends for evil, you work for good. And you take over and you change it. You redeem it. We praise you, Lord. We exalt you and we trust you to do that for us too. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number three.